friends of friends and more friends. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to our podcast, To Your Girls. We're here together today. It's just Lo and I. And hi. Hi. We are talking about something that is timely because Thanksgiving is right around the corner. And like all things in our lives, the marketing madness takes Thanksgiving gratitude and just shoves it right down your throat. <laughs> for, for the a serving of turkey and stuffing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Stuff that gratitude in. Um, <laughs> and it brings to the forefront of our minds how gratitude can be misused, how it can be easily easily become a brush, a, a big brush stroke over something that could be really serious. Um, how how we've seen there's a whole sect of people, group of people who can who really can take almost offense to gratitude, mm. right? Um, who feel like it's really brushing over kind of some real stuff that's going on. And me and you think about this a whole lot because it's important to us as we developed the gratitude adjustment, which is our fun name for it, created by Lorraine's husband, Ben. You know, how to make, how to make gratitude something that is not a brush over of feelings and how it can be a tool. And then, you know, what we see and what we want to, what we want to talk about in terms of how it can be seen or how it can, how it might even be used as something that's non-productive. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, you and I try and poke holes in the things that we do so that uh, they make sense and that they, they do land in the right way. And I think just like um, positive psychology can get a bad rap, you know, there's this whole thing about toxic positivity and the idea that people aren't allowed to feel the real feelings of life and being alive and watching the news and moving through a world where there is tremendous injustice and pain and inequity. And so if somebody kind of negates the fact that all of that exists, it can feel like there's not room to process or actually be an activist or be involved in the world that you're part of um, when we're trying to just glaze it over, gloss over those really deep, profound feelings. And I think what we try and do is, and I think as we create, you know, the gratitude adjustment and room to really feel what happens as we're humans in this world is we try and balance out some of the things that can really feel like they're dragging us down or pulling us in a direction where we can't be effective in our thoughts or in our actions. And so we try to use gratitude to balance out some of that feeling of spiraling or spinning our wheels. And so if you can just let yourself, your brain and your body rest in a moment that actually feels supportive, whether it's your breath or the way the sun shines or the fact that you woke up to another day and let gratitude rest there, it can help align you and do the work that needs doing when it comes to all the things that arise in your life and in your world and let in the pain and the anxiety and the things without letting them suck you so deeply into a place of, of despair where you can't get out. And I think that's how I like to think about part of it. Yeah. I think, um, interestingly enough, we use it 
I think about it really much more practically mm. than I do in terms of like, oh, it's, I'm so grateful for this. It's a practical tool that we use to essentially rewire neural pathways in your mm. brain to create a habit. That's it, mm-hmm. to create a habit. And, um, and it's really, it's been shown to be a super effective way to do that. And, and it, what it does is it just allows you to, um, we'll talk in a moment about kind of if you're living in the pain of it and, and why it might not work to, t- to turn to gratitude because there is, I think, a time and a place where it might not work, mm-hmm. but kind of in general, how we use it is just, it's a habit formation tool where if you are looking for those things, so we talk a lot about the negativity bias and the mm. gratitude adjustment, and you can do a better job explaining the negativity bias, but it's essentially our brain's way of just keeping us alive, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's scanning around for- Looking for threats. Of, yes. Yeah. And so- um, and, and in our day and age, threats are, you know, your, your emails or, you know, the news you're watching on TV or anything like that. So your brain wants to do a good job. It wants to process. It wants to keep you alive. And it's looking for those places where there could be danger. And so we're born with this natural negativity bias. There's nothing wrong with it. It's great for survival. But in this mm. cushy day and age, we're thinking about how can we um, survive in, in, you know, and this is for people also, let let me just stop there, but this is, I'm talking to people who are safe, fed, Mm. warm, you know, and there's plenty of people who are not that. Mm -hmm. and And then that's a whole different conversation, but in terms of people who are in a safe place, your brain's still looking for the negativity bias. And so the, the gratitude piece of it just allows you to start looking for the things that might feel a little easier, that might feel, bring you happiness, a rush of hormone of happiness. And the more you do something, as we know um, from the way that we learn, the more you do something, the more habited and patterned your body is, the more it will look for those things and kind of give this low level, hopefully sense of ease. Hmm. And it'll change what your brain starts looking for. And then you'll see moments that you might have overlooked easily if you were searching for the threats or if you're on high alert all the time, it can be really challenging to see someone's face when it smiles or to take in the things that are working. And so we're constantly looking for what's not working. And then it can create that heightened feeling of anxiety. And so that's what we're looking to bring down in this modern age where you're right. We live in a world where we have roofs over our heads, food on our table, space to work and ways to earn money, right? So it gives us that room to land and see our children, our family, our friends, the things that work right and work well. And then our brains start to downregulate a little bit so that we're not, so that we're able to sleep and rest and do all, digest, do all the things that are so necessary to keep moving forward. Yeah. I mean, we see the reports of anxiety um, being self-reported as, as higher than ever now. And anxiety is, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but right. It's, Mm. it's clinically, it's the terminology is the worry about something you can't control or something Mm -hmm. that, that almost you don't even need to be worrying about, right. Mm. Or you don't know if you need to be worrying about Mm -hmm. it. 
And so it's that, it's that part of our brains. Anxiety happens when you can't, it's excessive worry Mm. um, and you don't need to be there. Right. And so gratitude helps, I think with anxiety where gratitude doesn't help. Mm. It is, you know, it might help, but where it's, where I would say it's not prescribed is if there is, if you're in a place of like deep despair or sadness, if you're Mm. not in a moment or if you're in a moment of life, wait, how did we, how did we say it before Lo? Oh, it's like, if, if you're in a place and, and you're thinking I should feel this way, or somebody's mm. telling you, you should be great feel, grateful. Mm. That's when I think, and that's what Thanksgiving is, right? Mm. Yeah. I think that's where the toxic feeling can be that, that idea of in with a should comes judgment. And then in with judgment can come guilt and with guilt and shame and judgment, there's that feeling of punishment. And so it creates this cycle where you just want to push back and it doesn't feel right viscerally. You should be grateful. You should be acting a certain way. And so I think that's where the red flag rises. And that's where I want to say, let me feel what I'm going to feel right now, right here. And once that processes through my body, through my brain, then I can come back to a place where oh, I'm safe. I'm okay. I'm not alone. And that's where I think the gratitude can come from. Once the processing is done, you know, um, it's taken my dad a long time to move through grief after losing my mom. And he gets really prickly when somebody says you should be over it, you should move on. And so I think what is much more helpful is allowing the feeling and not having the timeline. And same thing with any emotion. You never know how long it's going to last, but being able to process it and having that freedom lets people move closer to the place where they can then see a little more clearly again. So it's like I visualize um, gratitude as cleaning off the lenses of our glasses, right? So sometimes when there's another emotion in the way, we can see the world from that emotion. And until we take the time to really clear it off or flush it through or metabolize it, the way you can metabolize an emotion, then it's clear where you can look outside and be like, oh, I'm so grateful for the fresh air, the breath I take, the people I love, instead of overlooking them through the lens of grief or sadness or pain. So used well and with some strategy, I think gratitude is extremely powerful. There's been some research on gratitude and awe in a combination of things. So, and with meditation, so meditating on this idea that you're a speck and so your problems are a speck of a speck has a way of putting things in perspective so that even with the anxiety and the fear and the problems of the world, we have more perspective when we start to let awe be part of our perspective and um, move through the world with a little bit more understanding that we're not the only ones here and our suffering is not the only umbrella um, that covers us, right? There's more. There's yeah, a bigger sky. Exactly. Well, just connecting to the fact that others suffer mm. or that, you know, uh, that there is just more life to live. And I think that the awe helps you to realize also that there are parts of your life that might be difficult and there are parts Mm. of your life that might be celebratory and Mm. it's not really a compartmentalization. It's just, that's something that can help you navigate through that, that when things are hard, not 
all of it has to be hard. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's just a nice reminder. It doesn't have to feel forced. I think what we say to people when they're in kind of a place where they're not seeing gratitude is just like you said, don't force it. If it Mm. comes to you naturally, you know, you don't have to write the list down or like make something up. Um, you know, if it comes naturally to a moment in the day, right. Then, then that's, then that's where it comes from and that's enough. And I think the one thing that we mix in with the gratitude that's essential is the self-awareness and we get that from meditation. There's all, we try to use all sorts of tools, Mm -hmm. meditation, breath work, um, mm-hmm. movement, mm-hmm. tracking of your habits, but that awareness of where you're at can help a lot distinguish if gratitude is a tool that's going to be useful for you in the moment. Yeah. I do think there's a tricky thing about forming any habit or doing anything that's new. It's not going to feel graceful or easy. For example, my six-year-old doesn't want to brush his teeth and I'm not going to say, oh, it's okay. You know, you don't have to brush your teeth if it feels challenging. So I think in what we do, it's okay that it feels awkward. It's okay that it's challenging. It's okay that it doesn't always come naturally. It's a tool that is helping train your brain. Just like you have to learn how to do a push-up when you're moving through a vinyasa, you know, it's, it's not easy. It takes work. It takes practice. And so I think that's where we try to operationalize it and really use it. Like, let it be awkward, be diligent, see if it changes your brain. Same with meditation. I think it's not easy. It doesn't feel graceful. It's bumpy. Of course, anything we're learning has that space where there's the learning curves, the bumpiness, the challenges, but keeping at it is where the pattern and the habit and the benefit come from, right? If we want to change anything, you have to go through that awkwardness of it too. So I think that's where it can get tricky, but it's, it's so interesting and fascinating. That's totally who you are. Is she in, in like everything we do? That's totally us in everything we do. You're that leader position constantly trying to get people to wade through the muck. And I'm like, no, 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 it's okay. You're okay. Like just, it's fine. It's, you know, it's hard. Like, don't do it. And you're like, well, it's, you know, brush your teeth. You know, you've got to brush your, And my kids' teeth are bad. So maybe that's it. Like, <laughs> Well, I think we trade off. And I think that's where it works. You know, when in the moments when I'm soft, you'll bring in the science. And in the moments when you want to give them a break, I'll bring in the reminder, you know. So I think that's how we are with ourselves, too. I think sometimes we're really great at sitting down doing the breath work. We're really great at sitting down and writing the list. Um, and then it's not a hundred percent, you know, like we're not going for a hundred percent in anything in life. I think that things like Michael Jordan's shooting percentage might've been like 50% and he was the best of the best, a really good batting average, I think might be like 300, you know, and that's 30% of pitches hit. So I turned to things like that. Are we doing sports analogies? (laughs) it's such a good thing to use. So my husband forces me to watch some ESPN, but it's always with heart and that idea of like, oh, this will help with your gratitude adjustment. Being the quarterback (laughs) of your own life, right? You need a really good, big offensive line to help you get through. So more sports uh, with Jillian and Lorraine. (laughs) That's our next podcast. But I think our next podcast, no, I know my, I, I'm not even sure 300 is a good batting average. So somebody can write in the comments or correct (laughs) me if I'm wrong. Um, But I do think that our next thing can also be self-compassion because it comes from that place of seeing 
what's happening as clearly as you can, feeling the feelings, not being alone, and then fiercely moving forward. It's not climbing under the covers and giving yourself a break all day long. It's like, all right, you've got this. Get back out there. You're up again. Right? No, it's the secret weapon at being res- at being resilient. Like I think it's I think it's all all successful and resilient people have this secret tool of self-compassion they don't even know that they have. Right. And I think that can also be trained just mm. like, just like gratitude or, or, or the opposite of the negativity bias. So we'll talk yeah. about self-compassion. I also want to talk about perfectionism. Oh yeah. We got a lot to talk about. Yes. That's great. Cause we've got time and not on this podcast, on no. this episode, but future <laughs> podcasts coming your way. Um, but thank you, Jill. I think that, um, it's nice to look at the pitfalls and kind of reframe what we're doing here. And we're not forcing anything on anyone. We really want people to feel what they're feeling, process it, and then have ways to wade through the muck and the mud, right? All right. So I will take us out. Happy November to everybody who's listening to this in November. Can you believe it? So this is someone we're grateful for, Mikey Bikes on Spotify. And Jill, thanks again for all the insight, inspiration, and wisdom. We hope you enjoy your time with us, and we'll see you next time. See you later. Bye.